You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey folks, uh, welcome to another episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm Ben Sternke, uh, and I am here in my home in Indianapolis, and uh, today uh, we've got uh, Ben Hardman in Atlanta. Who's yes, in- guys. How you doing? I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. In my church office. The church That's office. Right. I'm not the, in my home. I'm in the church office. The brick cubicle. Uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good stuff. Um, and uh, guys, today on uh, on the podcast, we've got uh, a guest that we're interviewing. Um, his name is Jeff Hancock, and he works with International Justice Mission. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Jeff, why don't you uh, give us a little rundown of what you do, what, what is International Justice Mission, what's your role in it, um, and uh, what, what's that all about? Absolutely. Well, um, just to kind of as a, a starting place, I've been a pastor for, I guess it's coming up on 20 years. It's getting close to that. Wow. And uh, was a pastor outside of Boston for a while and then in North Carolina uh, and then for about six years at an international church in the Netherlands uh, in The Hague. And through that time, uh, I, I guess God just kept stirring my heart for justice. And then uh, I got connected through a book by uh, IJM's founder, Gary Haugen, uh, called The Good News About Injustice, which is incredible. And I felt like it kind of gave me the language I had been looking for uh, for a while and just hadn't quite been able to grab. Um, and so for the last, say, 10 years of my pastorate, 
within the church. It was really trying to um, explore these ideas of justice and then specifically kind of trying to partner with IJM. IJM is an organization that is um, international in its work. So we're in about 18 field offices around the world. And the heart of what we're really trying to do is uh, to protect the poor from violence. Uh, and so in all of the communities where we work, uh, there's a type of casework that we're leaning into trying to protect the poor from violence, not only in the sense of um, rescuing victims of injustice and of violence, but also in really working to change the system on the ground. So everything we do is in partnership with the local authorities because our end goal is that that system on the ground, that justice system there is actually providing the protection for the vulnerable communities uh, as it was intended to. Um, and we're probably best known in terms of the work we do for our work with human trafficking and trying to end modern day slavery. Mm. Uh, so that's really kind of the heart behind what we do. Great. That's great. And Jeff's here in Atlanta yep. also. Yeah. So I'm based out of Atlanta. IJM is headquarters in, in DC. Um, my team as part of the church mobilization team is really kind of spread around the country. And, and, you know, I think our mission is, as a team is really twofold. One is we are trying to fuel the mission. We're trying to fuel the field and, and give the field what they need to actually do this work. Uh, the other side of it is that we really get to stand alongside partner churches in helping to continue the process of awakening to God's heart for justice. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, uh, for sharing all that. Um, you know, a while back we did a uh, we did a series on women and men leading together uh, in the church, and um, for us, that's not just a like a theological quibble. It's not just oh, here's a hermeneutical thing that we believe uh, that we'd like to tell everybody about. Uh, but for us, that had to do with justice as well, because there's like in our current cultural moment, there's all kinds of things happening with the Me Too movement, different things like that. Where we're realizing, okay, there's there's more at stake here than just how you read the Bible and interpret it, that this is a justice issue that, um, in this case, you know, for men and women, that men have held power and women uh, have not in general. And that's created this power differential, this status differential that's been baked into a system that creates uh, the possibility for abuse and uh, exploitation, manipulation, all kinds of other stuff. Um, and so the, the interesting thing to me about uh, what you're saying about your work is that you're not just out there providing relief for the poor. You're not just uh, giving food to the poor. You're not just trying to protect the, the, you know, the poor from the violence that they're, uh, that they're currently um, kind of subjected to, but you're, actually trying, to, you're tr actually trying to go a step deeper and say, okay, what's the system, this justice system, this systemic issue that's in place here that creates the conditions where the poor are taken advantage of and violence, they are subject to violence. Can you talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, the differentiation between those two things and maybe some of the challenges you encounter um, as you as you try to make those differentiations? I don't know if people critique yeah. you for that or criticize you for that. I'm just curious about how that, how that goes for you. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And um when you when you look at really the the mission of IJM, what we what we try to do, as I I think I mentioned it earlier, but everything we do is in partnership with local authorities, mm. and so the the heart of that, I mean, one is it's an authority 
issue. I mean, we are going into areas and we're trying to help empower that system to enforce its own law. Hmm. The other side of it, though, is that we want a local solution to a local problem, in a sense. So even in our field offices and actually everywhere we are around the world, 95% of our staff is national to that office. And that flows out of that same desire that this is not a Western sense of justice that's being imposed on an area. Hmm. It's actually trying to work within the existing system, the existing laws to build will and capacity to actually enforce those laws. Hmm. So I mentioned this, but everything, everywhere we are, we want to do four things. First, we want to rescue victims and then we want to restore survivors. And honestly, if that's all we did, I'm in, that's enough, Mm -hmm. but that's also an endless process. And so, so what we seek to do on the on the side of, of system transformation is the first thing is we want to bring perpetrators to justice. What we find again and again is that impunity that you mentioned of, of a perpetrator, of a violent offender, that is the biggest issue. And so when we can end that impunity, when we can end the lack of accountability, uh, the, the, the crimes actually just the, the frequency of them drop off the cliff. And, and then from, by working within the justice system itself, one, I think we get to understand the issues that we're working into, the, the kinds of violence uh, in a very intimate way. The other thing is that we actually get to see from within the system, what are the roadblocks here? Is it corruption? Is it simply a lack of capacity? Is it a lack of knowledge of of the law? And so from within the system, then we actually get to identify the weak places and actually help to shore them up. Because at the end of the day, what we want is that sort of pipeline of public justice, of police and social care and judges and prosecutors uh, to all be... uh, enabled and empowered to actually do the work. Because as you say, our real desire is that no one's victimized in the first place. Our win in an area is that we actually get to leave because the issue that we were working on is now being effectively handled by the system on the ground. I think for me, that's one of the things that drew me to the work of IJM was this idea. It's very different at least in terms of how I understood charity. So I think if I, if I thought about charity, if you'd asked me years ago about what charity was, to be honest, there was within me this notion of uh, strength to weakness. It was a downhill motion. And mm-hmm. so charity was about relieving uh, symptoms. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a noble pursuit. Mm-hmm. I also, though, think that it is a very human pursuit and What I mean by that is that there is an end built within that. There's a finiteness to that. I mean, we talk all the time about the reality of giving fatigue and charity fatigue. My attention span is like, you know, a a seven-year-old boy. And so I'm constantly drawn to the next crisis. And I think that when my mentality and when we as the church, our mentality is about charity, that downhill motion instead of justice, I I think that's where the problem is because I think that justice is not a downhill motion. It is like to like, it is brother to brother, sister to sister. It's, it's, it's the, 
it's really sourced out of the idea, not that they have a need and I can fix it, but that that person is the image of God. And so I'm going to move in that direction. And, and that notion then of system change then becomes not about alleviating sy- symptoms. Instead, it really becomes this idea that we as the church actually get to live in the direction of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so the system that we want is the kingdom system where Hmm. everybody is treated as the image of God, that justice is just part of the normal life of us together. And so then it becomes a question of leveraging our power to enhance the lives of others, um, our brothers and sisters. Yeah. 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 I I love that. And it it, it coheres and kind of uh, integrates really well with like a major feature of our coaching that we do for leaders in, in Gravity Leadership Academy is kind of uh, taking them out of that um, the posture uh, the down the downward hill uh, down the hill posture that you were talking about where it's like hey right. I've I've got power I've got the right answers here you go you're welcome right and we're take, yeah. taking taking come know, to me for the answers right yeah. yeah I'm the Bible answer guy or I'm the right. you know everything answer guy and and here I am leading a church let you know let let me help you I'm trying to trans uh, transform that posture into one that uh, speaks a little bit more to what you're talking about where there's mutuality uh, there's there's a there's a receiving of the image of God in the other that I, I'm not here with answers I'm here with questions oftentimes I'm here to listen right. I'm here to learn. Um, I really can't help unless I can do those things. Um, and so I appreciate that, kind of hearing about that posture, uh, that, that that lines up really well um, with, uh, yeah, the posture that we try to train leaders uh, in. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, 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 as you're talking, Jeff, I wonder, it feels like in our culture right now, there's, there's this kind of outrage culture where every week there's a getting riled up about something. Right. Uh, but I don't really see that producing a lot of fruit. And right. so I see social media outrage. I see like there's another justice issue every week that somebody's excited about. Right. Uh, how do you move from outrage isn't a fruit of the spirit? Uh, <laughs> and how do we move people from just getting like fired up about something to kind of long obedience in the same direction to sustain systematic change? Right. Uh, to really acting out of love and not out of outrage or out of uh, sometimes even fear, guilt, or shame. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think a part of it, so it, from, I can speak partly of my own journey as a pastor and, and obviously as a human being, but how that then expressed itself as a pastor and then and see seeking to lead the churches I was a part of. Uh, the starting place for us is, is really trying to understand what injustice is to begin with, because I think you're right. I think that that is a word, justice and injustice, that frankly have been hijacked mm-hmm. uh, in our culture. It's been stolen really from the vocabulary of the church, and it's been we've been told it means something that I'm not convinced that it does. So internally within IJM, the way that we understand the sin of injustice in the Bible is that it is always about power. It's the abuse of power to take from someone else the good things God intends for them. Hmm. So when I as an individual, when we as a group, or when a system uses its power to take from others the good things God intends for them, their life, their liberty, their dignity, the fruits of their love and labor, that is injustice. 
And we see that throughout the Bible. Uh, you know, if you think about uh, probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, David and Bathsheba, and you, you think about that story and you think of all of the things we would name as the sins of David. When Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David, he doesn't name any of those. The only thing he goes after is, is David's abuse of power, yep. how he used his power to, to rob from these people who were more vulnerable than him. Yes. Uh, the good things that God had actually intended for them. So that's the beginning place. And I think that one of the places that we have to start as the church is really sitting in that because that is not a comfortable place. Yeah, I think it's not comfortable for us to ask as a group. It certainly isn't comfortable to this moment for me to ask about myself. Mm -hmm. uh, how am I using my power to actually take from others? And so it starts there in this sort of shattering moment, I think, where we recognize what is that violent injustice? What does that injustice look like around the world? And so we see things like the fact that, you know, slavery isn't an issue for the history books. There's best estimates or there's 40 million slaves today on our watch. Uh, one of the things you've, you mentioned, the, the, the injustice within the male and female relationships, mm -hmm. one of the things that we're working into and for me was just a shattering reality is that gender-based violence accounts for more death and injury amongst women than cancer, war, malaria, and motor accidents combined. Wow. We as the church, we need to sit there for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And, and allow some brokenness to come. Yes. I think that when we do that, the immensity of that brokenness, hopefully the first thing it does is it actually drives us then to God mm -hmm. to say, repentance. certainly yeah. repentance. Also, I think it's to say, well, what could be different then? Mm -hmm. And so one of the, the real disciplines for, for us at IJM is our own spiritual formation. Um, our work in the field is really driven by our vision of discipleship. Now, I understand that prayer, discipleship, spiritual formation, that is in the mission statement and values of every Christian organization in the history of the world, right? You know, it's, it's a core value of every church I was a part of. I will say this, I have never been part of an organization where that is taken more seriously than at IJM. And the reason is, is because we sit in front of the reality of violence and injustice and we realize, well, that, that's a God-sized problem. Yeah. And yet God's really clear that he puts the solution to that in our lap. As he always does, he says, oh, I'm going to fix this. You go do it. Um, and so seeing that we're, we're really drawn to this place of prayer. So you know, within our rhythm of a day, for instance, um, every IJM employees around the world, our day starts as a part of the workday with a half hour of silence, hmm. where we are really just sitting in front of God. We're being reminded that this is His work and His vision. And, and, and I think I mentioned before, but if charity has an end because it's our own vision, I think justice does not because it's actually trying to live towards God's vision. And so hmm. uh, we, we start the workday and then two hours later, we stop it again and we gather back for corporate prayer. Um, so every office around the world, um, every day we stop and we just 
tell the stories. We tell the stories of the celebrations as well as the lament, uh, and then we lean into prayer. Uh, hmm. And and so that notion of trying to bring the reality of injustice and the brokenness to God and be captured once again by his vision of things gives this the energy it needs. The other thing that I would say is that if if we need to sit in that place of what injustice is, one of the things that transformed me as a human and I think as a preacher was just turning that on its head to say, well, if that's the reality of injustice, the abuse of power, then what is the reality of justice? What is the work of justice? Well, it is the use of power to cause to flourish within mm-hmm. others the good thing God intends for them. Well, all of a sudden, that had an application everywhere. Now, justice was not just, okay, guys, it's justice weekend. This is when we're talking about this. <laughs> right. Now, I, and I still remember, actually, I, I was preaching through a series on Ephesians, and I was in a section where Paul's talking about um, relationships in the family. And so it's basically this idea of what does grace look like in the family? And that idea of justice came in. How am I in my own home using my power to cause the good things God intends for my family to flourish? Because we all have power as spouses, as children, as parents, as consumers, as church members, as citizens, as people who hold the resources that we do. We all have power, even though we don't always feel like that. And so then the question becomes, and I think that one of the things that sustains the work of the church and what uh, Gary Haugen, our founder, he he actually calls it the long and boring work of justice. Mm -hmm. Because for every dramatic moment of celebration of, of, you know, being able to facilitate a rescue from a brothel of 12-year-old girls, honestly, there's a hundred days of just the relentless showing up. We just keep showing up because this vision of God's world is so worth it. Great stuff. Yeah. Really good. Uh, Yeah. Jeff, I want to ask you a a question about um, uh, how your work is received, because I I can imagine um, some pastors and leaders listening to this and maybe being stirred by it, feeling like this, this is, yes, yes, I want to get involved in this, but also then seeing other visions of, you know, maybe certain members of their congregation uh, uh, opposed to it, right? So sure. I'm, I'm thinking of, like, um, uh, Helder Kamara, um, you know, who uh, ministered, I think, in, in Latin America, basically mm-hmm. said, like, I, when I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they are poor, they call me a communist. <laughs> you know, so there's this, there's this uh, like... You know this this contrast, this dichotomy uh, between these two things, and you know th- there was recently a statement put out, right? The statement on social justice and the gospel. Yes. I, I can't remember if that's the uh, name of it or not. Um, but how, like, so I guess my question is this: like, have you have do you guys ever deal with those kinds of criticisms? Like, do you give it the time of day, or, or you know, you just get on with your work? And do you have any advice or anything that you could say to a pastor who wants to sort of raise? the awareness of injustice and mobilize his congregation or her congregation toward these things, but is afraid or is unsure of like, how's this going to land with people? And what do I say to the people who, you know, are going to be opposed to this or think I'm not preaching the gospel anymore? I don't know. Do you have anything to say to them? 
Uh, oh, so, so, so <laughs> much. Um, and that is a, a frequent pushback. Um, and I would say that it comes from a few places. I think one is there are times when it comes from a very real uh, and earnest, though I think maybe um, slightly off focus sort of view of what evangelism is, right. of what the role of the church is. And so sometimes it is earnest. I think other times it's really an excuse not to engage. Hmm. I mean, I know I've done that plenty of times, maybe not specifically on this issue, but a uh, hundred others. And so I think sometimes we can cloak our reluctance to really join in a work we see in front of us that's actually clearly God. Mm -hmm. We can cloak that in theological debate. Right. And so one of the things that we try to do is just since, well, what, what does this particular pushback feel like? Um, and if, is it really an interest in having a discussion, which I am all in and right. we'll, we'll engage in that. I think the, so here's a few things I would say to that. One is if you think about Jesus in Luke four, so he has this moment in the, in the temple where he is going to reveal finally, this is who I really am publicly. He is going to establish once for all what the mission of God in the flesh is in this world. Mm -hmm. And so he gets up and he unveils the scroll or unrolls the scroll from Isaiah. And he says, I've come to bring good news for the poor release for the captive freedom for the oppressed. My entire life, including much of my preaching life, I have heard and preached that passage as metaphor. And so Jesus wants to free me from the oppression of my guilt. He wants to free me from the oppression of my shame or the bondage of addiction. And all of those things are true. And man, that is good news. Right. It's why we're here today. Sure. But if we stop there... Mm -hmm. I think we miss the fact that the good news is even better than we ever imagined. Come on. <laughs> Jesus actually meant that. Yeah. And moreover, when he stands with all authority under his fingertips and says, okay, guys, now my mission is yours. Then he passes on the entire scope of that redemptive mission of God to us. And so I think the heart of my sort of response is, guys, the good news is even better than you thought. Mm -hmm. How extraordinary is that? Far from diminishing the gospel, we're actually trying to unveil the utter grandeur of the message and ministry of Jesus. Mm. God came to transform the world and to get to be a part of that. And so that, that really is the the heart of that. I, I think I can show you examples of people who we have been able to facilitate the rescue of. And, you know, when we're pulling a, a little boy out of a brick kiln in India, yes, we're not handing him a track and saying, <laughs> hey, here's the four spiritual laws of the gospel. Right. What we're trying to do is actually just live out the mission of Jesus. Right. And so I can think of a young boy named Kumar. We were able to identify him and facilitate his rescue from a brick kiln in India. He came out and began to experience um, just loving aftercare. And so every, you know, that's the restoration piece of what we do is that obviously 
when they're pulled out of a traumatic place, it's not like their life is now okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really begins a long season of, of aftercare, years. And so we really just walked through life with Kumar. We were able to you know, get him into school and, and sort of help him start to dream and hope like a human being. And from that journey, he actually became a Christian mm-hmm. because he watched this living out of the gospel. And I will tell you that if Kumar were here, he would tell you that Luke 4 is not a metaphor. Mm-hmm. His oppression was ended because the friends of God walked into the place of darkness mm-hmm. and walked him out mm-hmm. because that's what God's friends do. Yeah, And so I, I just, again, I think that so much of this discussion has been hijacked uh, from yeah. us. And um, I, I think so many times, if you control the vocabulary of discussion, you control the perception of that. And mm-hmm. so I, I think a part of what I really long for, and, and I think get excited about in my role, is really trying to help the church reclaim our role. Because mm-hmm. the reality is, is, as our witness as a church is really about this presenting to our world a grander vision of what God actually intends for human life. Yes. And, you know, if I think about our culture today, it's filled with so much fear and so much defensiveness. And I honestly believe that a part of that is because no one is offered a vision of a better world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I think about what was my vision as a pastor for my church, honestly, so many times it was that the church would grow and maybe I'd have a more effective small group ministry and get people to actually sign up and, yeah. you know, or maybe it was a world with more Christians in it. And yeah. all of those things are lovely, but that's not actually a vision of a better world. Mm-hmm. Jesus actually gave us that vision mm-hmm. and the church now gets to actually live into that and to present to our world a vision of what could be. Yes, And so again, I think it's, far from either diminishing the gospel or diminishing the role of the church. It's actually saying, oh man, let's live into it. And mm. last thing on that, and then I'll, I'll close my mouth for a second. But uh, <laughs> when you think about one of, again, this is one of my favorite passages, but where Jesus describes his church and he says, now this is my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Once again, the way I've heard that preached and the way I preached it myself for so many years is that no matter what happens to us, somehow the church can withstand the onslaught of the world. And so we see that passage as presenting this sort of defensive posture of the church. It's a, it's a castle behind the walls and somehow we will, we will survive. Now, There may be other passages that talk about things like that. That's not what that passage is about. An army comes into contact with the gates of the enemy when it is attacking, Mm -hmm. not when it's defending. Jesus is not painting a picture there of a church that can somehow withstand the onslaught of a world that is evil. He's actually painting a picture of an evil that cannot withstand the onslaught of a loving church. Hmm. That is the vision I want us to be living into. That's a much more exciting vision. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I I don't know that there is a more important issue for us to be talking about in the church right now than what we do with our power. Yes. 
and what we've seen with lots of leaders falling mm-hmm. with, uh, I think, race relations with women in ministry and women in leadership. Um, and even what you're describing, where we take on a posture with our church, where the most important thing is that we grow our own church. Sure. Then what, what we're doing with our power is self-serving. And it's not serving the greater good of the community or the neighborhood that we're in or the, the larger world or engaging in some of these issues. So I, I, I thank you so much. This has been so, so good. Um, how So I, I, you and I are going to talk after this is over to figure <laughs> right. out how Grace Marietta gets more involved. We've, sure. been trying to, we've been putting that meeting off, but I want to have that <laughs> meeting to figure out how our church gets engaged with what you're doing. Yeah. How, how do other pastors connect to what you're doing? And, and how do they engage in the mission that you guys are, are leading into? Absolutely. I think the, the place that we always start is we want to start with engagement. And so the, 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 the biggest thing that we want to do to start a journey of walking together with a local church is, is really just engaging around the, the issue of God heart for justice. And so one of the main functions of my team is to, we go around and we get to preach about God's heart for justice. And we teach Sunday schools and we do conferences and really want your church to be stirred up. Uh, We always say that we want to create good pastoral problems for you guys. The bad (laughs) ones are going to come on their own, uh, but we want to be a part of helping to stir your people up for this part of God's heart. Uh, that's so rich and so uh, fruitful for us, too, when we join them there. Uh, and so that really is the place we want to start. There's also a ton of resources that we've been able to come up with over the years uh, that are everything from books and Bible studies. And, and you asked earlier about how a suggestion for pastors trying to dig into this. I would say that that really coming in and and connecting with some of the resources that we have that really dive into the Bible's claim and call to justice. That's really what we want our people to be wrestling with. And then I think that as we engage together, if there is this overlap of passion and desire with the mission of IJM and that church, then we really can start to talk about partnership and and what would it look like to partner maybe with one specific field office? Because I will say this, all of the issues that you mentioned a minute ago are very much issues of power and justice. They are also, they're difficult sometimes for us to dive into as a, as a community. And I think that one of the things that I've found is that engaging with IJM and say our work in Ghana, right? So in Ghana, we're freeing little boys from slavery, from the fishing industry. There is no one sitting in our church today who's going to look at that and say, oh, I don't really care about that, or that that's not something that should be fixed. And so in a way, engaging in God's heart for justice and the reality of injustice there and the type of work we're doing actually helps us to almost in a safer way, start to really dive into God's heart there. So engagement is the key. Um, and, you know, if you're interested in this, one of the things I would suggest is just go to uh, www.ijm.org and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page and click the page for churches. Send us your information. You're not, you know, signing a contract by doing that. It really is just the start of a conversation. My colleagues in, on the church mobilization team are spread around the country. We also have ways of just engaging um, a, a large number of churches. We've 
started a thing called Freedom Sunday, uh, where it's really just inviting churches to spend one Sunday dedicated to the reality of slavery and the invitation of God to end it. There are resources to accomplish that on your own or by bringing in an IJM speaker. So really, that's it. Engage with us, start the conversation, and let's see where it goes. Yeah, and we'll put a lot of that information in the show notes so people can track For sure. that if you're wanting to get more information. Jeff, this has been really, really great. Thank uh, you so much. It's been a much. pleasure, guys. Thanks. Uh, we so appreciate the work that you're doing mm. and uh, and are so proud to call you a friend, man. Mm. This is great. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Folks, we'll see you next time. This has been another episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you do that kind of thing. And you can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future episode. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful during the week. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And FYI, my brother, Aaron Sternke, mixes and masters this podcast. Um, and he does this kind of thing, mixing, engineering, production, and scoring uh, for other people. And he's really good at what he does. If you want to check out his work uh, and request a quote, you can check him out at aaronsternke.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-S-T-E-R-N-K-E.com. We'll see you next time. Bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.